Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. I'm Joe Bazzella right here. Right here. And we're going way back in our time machine, 12 years ago, 2009, season one, episode one. This is the third ever pitch in the history of the U.S. version of Shark Tank, 2009. You must have been, what, late 60s, early 70s? I was, I was 19 years old. Okay. Riding a Harley, my long hair blowing in the wind. What? what? So this is why spots. I, by the way, I'm just kidding. Uh, my mom never let me drive a motorcycle. I have no natural balance. I just follow. Her. I, oh, I assumed. <laughs> I, I assumed that uh, you did used to drive a motorcycle. Really? And you fell off a lot. No, and you didn't wear a helmet. Yeah, yeah, I knew that was coming. Okay. Why spots? Yes. Kevin Flannery. So, um, former Marine. Mm-hmm. Proud Marine. Proud Marine. Don't call him a former Marine. I know. Always I, a I, Marine. I knew that was wrong. <laughs> Always a Marine. Always. Um, he's Semper all five. in. So yeah. takes a second out on the house, five hundred and fifty thousand into this business, tapped out, comes into Shark Tank asking one point two million for ten percent of the business, yep. six out uh six years, sorry, six years of R and D to get this thing going. Yeah. Um, completely and, bootstrapped at that time, no raise, no money, no outside money. Yeah, I mean you you can't be more all in than this. Yeah. And so the idea is and, and help me out with this. Uh, But, you know, really what we're doing is we're walking into a doctor's office and we're sitting there killing time. Now, remember, 2009, you can't just screw around on your iPhone and read (laughs) articles and stuff. Right. So the idea is instead of grabbing a magazine, you grab an iPad and there'd be information that you could access. And you'd be able to, uh, you know, some ads would pop up and that would be the revenue model. Right. And 9,000 per screen to place them. So not an inexpensive placement. Yeah, nine thousand to put up, put into an office. That's what the doctor's office would have to incur. Right. Um, and they could either pay for that upfront or they could lease it out. The doctor was the one that paid for it. Um, yeah, and it's you know it's interesting too, and and you'll see this if you go back and watch the pitch. It was a different Shark Tank back then. Yeah, it, it was, was a Shark in, Tank. It was an intimidating <laughs> set. Yeah, a high table like a like a judge's bench. And stacks of money in front of each. Yeah, I mean, it was like this gritty, dark, uh, greedy, um, you know, they're nasty. The the lighting was darker. They're perched up higher. They're not nice. You know, I mean, it was very sharky. And maybe that's how these things actually work in real life. I don't know. (laughs) I've never sat in that environment. But, you know, you fast forward now and it's an ABC family show yeah that's you know it's a little friendlier feel good. a little kinder a sure. little gentler and you, you get a little <laughs> nudge from a mr wonderful but it's yeah. you know kind of all in good spirit and you know all all the characters you know all the investors on shark tank now are kind of like family friendly pg warm and fuzzy yeah. um which is interesting so it's it's interesting to see how the show has evolved over time too and absolutely I, joe i'd even as i'm sitting there saying that i'm thinking it's probably 
probably how society has tried to evolve. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's tried to really kind of warm things up, and you know, there, there's a deliberate effort that they've done. So it's it's really interesting. Yeah, we to have see. PC'd everything over the years. <laughs> it's 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 a lot less edgy, and so yeah. you know, some of these early episodes of uh, you know the first season, it's it's a little uncomfortable to see, yeah. and and you know, you feel bad for people because they're you know, you think, oh, well, you go on TV and you get to be famous, and the flip side of that is you're opening yourself up to being extremely vulnerable and you may not get a deal and you don't know how you're going to be portrayed or how you're going to come across. There's times they think when you and I will watch ourselves on video or listen to ourselves on audio and it's like, ugh, I come across a lot different than I'm intending to. Yeah. And so it's it's challenging. So um, Kevin was a great sport. He goes on the show, you know, obviously bootstrap, lays out his business, and then what happens? Well, it was, uh, in a word, it was brutal. It was that, that real Shark Tank, that original uh, OG Shark Tank. And um, Robert said, uh, hey, hey, Kevin, you've put your family at risk. And he went out. Mr. Wonderful said, stop the madness. <laughs> And uh, Barbara uh, asked him if he had the courage to just quit, suggested that he quit. Um, Kevin didn't get it. Damon was out really quickly and said, hey, just stop this. And so it, it, it wasn't the most positive Shark Tank experience we've ever seen. And obviously, Kevin may have a comment or two on that. But he's a really tough guy, a really yeah. good guy. He's got a huge heart. And he's extremely inventive. So he's reinvented himself. Well, the rest of the story you'll hear. And, you know, really good guy. Yeah. So let's get into our interview with Kevin. All right. We're here with Kevin Flannery, who was on Shark Tank way back in 2009. Some people may not even realize the show has been on for 12 years. Uh, so you're one of the Shark Tank OGs, if you will. How in the heck did you get on the show? And tell us about that business, because you know potentially the process may have been different way back when than it is now with the cattle calls and everything else. Sure. So I think I'm actually uh, just an OG period. Uh, so I was actually on the very first uh, premiere episode. So it was still a pilot that uh, Mark Burnett was trying to sell to ABC and Sony television. And I got a call from the then uh, CEO of the Go Big Network, who said that he had got a call from a casting director. Uh, one of Mark Burnett's casting directors said they were going to basically mirror uh, Dragon's Den, which was popular all around the world. And, uh, would I be interested in, you know, speaking with them and submitting the information that they needed? I said, well, sure. I'm out searching for funding. I mean, it makes makes sense to me. And I'm not shy. So um, I think it was 45 minutes later after I sent an email, I got a response with the uh, copious amounts of information that was required to get on. Um, what I discovered through the whole process, is there was 10,000 plus entrepreneurs that submitted uh, a 15 minute video. Um, business plan, financial performer, projections, all that kind of stuff. Um, out of those 10,000, there was 20 of us, as I understand it. Like, so if I get any of these numbers wrong, I apologize, but this is what was told to me. 20 of us that, uh, I know there were 20 there that got chosen to film for that premiere episode. Um, 17 of us actually got filmed. Nine of us made it on TV, and I was the third one on the very first episode ever. And somehow or another, my... Uh, the way they framed it wasn't the way I would have liked it, but I wouldn't change the experience for anything. Like I, I'm thankful that the opportunity presented itself to me at some point in my life, it'll be beneficial. I feel like it's all part of God's plan. Um, 
the way they spun my episode, my, my segment didn't really tell much about my business. It focused on my sacrifice, um, which is all fine and dandy. You know, I look back now and I'm like, you know, maybe I wasn't even ready back then. I was way ahead of my time with my business model. It was a digital out of home business model that I think it was kind of direct competition to traditional media. I think that might have scared people a little bit. But uh, I walked away from that with a lick of my wounds a little bit. I think that I was portrayed as chum in the water. But uh, it just emboldened me that, well, I, you know, I'm going to do I'm going to succeed no matter what happens. So um, I get I still to this day, 12 years later, get uh, emails and contacts through LinkedIn asking me about my experience. How did you like it? Did you ever do anything with it? Just mostly positive. Very rarely do I hear anything negative. I just kind of brush that off because I don't waste too much energy on that. So it, it was actually pretty cool. I got to meet Mark Burnett. I enjoyed that. Very, very polite, very kind guy. Um, he seemed pretty excited about what I had to offer. So, um, But I have a vision that the business model, I'm tying that into what I'm doing now. It's just one of the service offerings we have. So I'm pretty excited about it. Well, and I, go back, I want to go backwards for a second. I know you had a difficult uh, upbringing. I did. And that maybe uh, that maybe formed some of your desire or passion to be an entrepreneur. But where, without making an assumption, where did your entrepreneurial genes or DNA? Where do you think that came from? Uh, having to fend myself for myself my entire life. I, I grew up. Uh, I'll just I'll try to keep it short. Very challenging childhood. I ran away from home before I was a teenager. Spent some time homeless and then spent every six months of my teenage years, new foster home, new foster home, new foster home. Um, some people would look back and have kind of the old poor me. And instead of getting on Shark Tank, might have gone on intervention. I, I was the opposite of that. Um, I felt like I can be whatever I want to be. Um, I've the, the, the good Lord gave me a brain and a really strong work ethic. And uh, I excelled in school. I, I'm thank, I thank God for that as well. Um, with very little effort, which is kind of strange. I, I wish I could put that amount of effort in now. It doesn't work that way. Um, I excelled in school. I actually graduated high school early. I excelled in athletics. And I just told myself really early on that if I want it, I got to go get it. And uh, when I rely on other people, somebody usually fails me uh, or, or fails those around me that believe in what I'm doing. So uh, it's just stuck with me my whole life. And I've had a lot of successes and a lot of failures throughout my adult life as well. And I just don't let them hold me down. It's like another rung on the ladder for me to climb over. And I know you're a, a proud Marine, by the way, thank you for your service. We, we cherish and, and really respect our, our military heroes. How did um, your experience in the Corps shape some of your disciplines in the private sector? <laughs> um, every bit of it. Um, I, I was not the most disciplined individual prior to that. Um, I, I graduated high school instead of, uh, Going to college right away, I decided that I was going to join the Marine Corps because I was, I'll just put it this way, I was a wild you know, 17, 18, 19-year-old, and I knew I needed something to settle me down. And I, I didn't want to stay up there where, my, where I'm from in Massachusetts because they're all doing the wrong things. And I knew if I wanted to succeed in life, I needed to get away. So um, everything's a challenge for me. I chose what I felt would be the most difficult boot camp to prove that I could do it. I, I literally... Uh, went to visit my mother and my grandfather when I made the decision that I was going to join. Well, I hadn't done it yet, but I said, you know what? My friend Colin, who graduated early with me, uh, joined the Marine Corps. I think I'm going to do it. And I immediately got the laughter. You'll never make it. You're this, you're that. Just a bunch of negativity. 
Um, that next morning, I was at the recruiting station saying, tell me where to sign up. I don't care what you do with me. I'm going. Um, and I joined. I excelled in boot camp. I excelled in the Marine Corps. I just, uh, I am not the best um, expendable round is the way I put it. My brain doesn't stop. I like to think for myself. Um, so I did four years and I got out. <laughs> so tell us about the business that initially got you onto Shark Tank. Um, what happened with it? And then you had mentioned that it in some ways ties in with what you're doing now. So I'm curious about the life cycle of that. And, and, and also with that initial business, were, were you ahead of your time? Was there, you know, what did you learn from that? Because, you know, there, there's kind of some interesting things to unpack here. And I, I'd love to hear that story. And, you know, ultimately what entrepreneurs can, can learn from, you know, your path over the past 12 years. Sure. Um, so I owned a business uh, called Wireless Management Solutions, where we built wireless networks for the carriers. For And I think back then they were still Bell South Mobility, became singular. I think Verizon was GTE. So I'm going way back. Um, uh, I provided project management, construction, site acquisition, all those kind of services to those companies. So I was in the wireless industry. Um Back uh, in 2002, Wi-Fi, when I say it was in its infancy, it truly was in its infancy. Pretty much everybody was scared of it, but I saw something there. I saw something that I think that I could capitalize on um, and, and turn into a revenue stream. So I, I partnered with uh, a company called Advanced Technologies out of uh, Atlanta, where they had an iGenie web tablet, a ruggedized web tablet, touchscreen, virtual keyboard. It was Wi-Fi enabled. Um, I bought a ton of them. And I decided that I was going to build a model that I was going to deploy these tablets, these tablet PCs. And tablet PCs weren't the big thing back then. They were pretty expensive. And I was putting them in retail locations where people could surf the web, check and send emails, play games, do stuff, entertain themselves, and order from a menu off of these things, too. So we spent a lot of money, um, uh, pretty high into the six figures. Let's just put it that way. Purchasing that and building a platform to operate with them. And I had them deployed at several coffee shops, restaurants, uh, some, some pretty big size names in North Carolina, a couple of hotels, and I just couldn't get anybody to use them. Um, they were scared of doing anything on a wireless device that wasn't there, theirs and a Wi-Fi network that somebody was going to hack in and get their stuff. So we're going all the way back. I think my, my first locations were in 2004. I'll fast forward a couple of years. That advanced technologies went belly up on me, didn't tell me. And I was left with six figures worth of these devices and no, no back-end support. So I had a choice. Am I going to drop it and do something else? Or am I going to try to you know, morph into something else? Um, I'm a basketball junkie. I'm almost 56. I still am now. I love to play hoops. And I'm always rolling my ankles. Like some, There's always some injury, some stitches, something broken, whatever. They tell you it's not a physical sport. They're lying. Um, I was in the doctor's office. And uh, up on the wall was this static content uh, up there that was healthcare related. And I did some research on it and a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, hmm, well, that's interesting. I could come in doctor's offices, you know, average waits 30 to 45 minutes for anybody. And usually somebody has, there's somebody with somebody every time. So we started devising a model that we put our patient interaction centers in doctor's office waiting areas with what we called Y-pads before an iPad existed way back then. Um, and it was a patient interaction center called, we called it a PIC. Started off looking like a big surfboard type of thing, like surf the web with a big flat panel screen at the top. 
five to 10 of these iPads sitting in charge upright in their charging cradles. Screens were 10.4 inches and we had some that were 12 inches corner to corner. They scrolled ads every 12 seconds. So they fit into a minute. Well, pick them up, take them back to your seat, fill out all your paperwork encrypted digitally that you needed with the doctor. It went to their server right away. When you were done, you could check and send emails, play games, surf the webs based on different industry segments, whatever interest you have. And advertisers would be the one that monetized it. The doctors could make money off of it in their waiting area. Um, it just, I was ahead of my time, I believe, because people just didn't seem to get it. But we invested about $1.25 million in it, got all the research and development done and uh, ran out of money. So that's how I ended up on Shark Tank was look, I needed, uh, I tried to raise another 1.25 to go to market because you've got to be able to market, do maintenance, upgrades, you know, all that kind of stuff and operate the network operations center. And I just, I, I wasn't able to do it. They didn't give me a deal. And uh, I tried for a couple of years after that to keep it alive, to keep it going on. I had some unscrupulous individuals try to steal the model from me. And I, and I walked away from them. And I, what I did was went back and I became a project manager. So I went from making a really high six-figure salary to making under a six-figure salary and starting at the bottom again. So people that I was working for people that I brought into the industry as a project coordinator. It was uh, it was quite humbling. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but that lasted for about three months and I climbed the ladder really fast because uh, I had been doing it for a really long time <laughs> and had been, you know, successful. So again, I wouldn't change it anything because it's, it's, it's molded the way I think about things. I don't take anything for granted. Um, what I learned the most from it was uh, temper my trust, right? I, I'm, I'm a trusting Trust but verify is kind of what I go with. And I had 168 location contracts with doctor's offices back then with Spots was the name of the, the business because investors told me to do it, which meant I was spending money. Well, I couldn't execute on those 168 location contracts. I couldn't then execute on the new hardware I needed to purchase and the software. So I became the kid who cried wolf to those people. What I've learned now is what we're doing with the business I have now is I'm not going to go out and get, I could go have a thousand locations signed up for long-term leases right now, but I'm not going to do it till we finalize our funding so I can actually execute. So it was a very valuable, but painful lesson. Probably one I needed to learn. <laughs> and, and what are you doing now? Tell us about that business and, and how, you know, it relates or, or correlates with some of the stuff you've done in the past. All right. So I, um, if you're in telecom and wireless building wireless networks, you become a network subject matter expert. And for me, it comes all the way from the leasing and zoning and permitting through the architectural engineering design, through the construction, the integration and the maintenance. I've built thousands of cell sites, whether it's a, a raw land, you know, where it's a, a, a bunch of woods where you got to clear and grub the trees, bring a DOT rated road, all the utilities, you know, 25 foot caissons, eight foot in diameter deep, 300 foot tower or bigger or just changing out lines and antennas, We've done thousands of them. Um, did that for 25 plus years. Prior to that, I was an electrical contractor, so that kind of ties into what we're doing. I've done quite a bit of stuff in my life to, to pay the bills and feed the family, let's put it that way. Um, uh, and so uh, the wireless industry became very difficult to make money. They came up with, uh, the, the carriers came up with a turfing model where they had people that don't know anything about costs of goods sold and expenses to, for construction putting pricing to get unit pricing for tasks. They've missed a lot of stuff that went into those tasks. 
And there was just no way to make money. So I decided, who I'm going to get back into electrical contracting back in 2014, I think. Um, and I had shut down Y spots in 2009, by the way, just to kind of back up. Um, 2014, I was like, I'm going to get back in electrical contracting. And I started, I research everything. I probably drives my wife nuts, but I research ad nauseum, <laughs> everything that I get involved in. And I'll bounce stuff off of her just because I need another sane point of view, right? Um, and uh, I was like, man, this new uh, EV charging stuff, whether I agree with the whole reason what that behind it or not, someone is going to build these things out. And I saw that as the network build out, the same thing that happened when telecom went from pagers and beepers to cell phones, which started off with just voice, GSM. And I was like, this is the same thing. There were hardly any towers out there before. There were FM and TV towers in the beginning. And then there's still, or, or uh, FAA towers. And so I, the infrastructure had to be built. A lot of what I call vertical real estate back in the day. Well, the light bulb went off in my head. I was like, well, this EV charging infrastructure, that's going to be the same thing. There's going to have to be a ton of EV charging sites built worldwide. But from my perspective in the United States, that's uh, where my bread and butter is right now. Um, I'm going to get in on this. So 2014, I found my way, wriggled my way in, um, or as a VP with another company, uh, with Black & Veatch, a big construction company who was doing work for Tesla. Um, we started building electric vehicle charging stations. So it's another network. It's just a different type of network. Well, we quickly learned that it, the comparison I make is a wireless telecom building a cell site is like um, Major League Baseball uh, in the World Series, like game six. Um, the EV charging infrastructure build out is like Little League first game of the season as it relates to how cumbersome it is, cost, time, frustration, reporting, everything. It's just so much easier and you turn a lot more sites a lot faster. So um, I decided, all right, what am I going to do? At that point, I got the bug again for the entrepreneur thing. It's like, well, I'm going to stay where I'm at for a period of time, and I'm going to become an expert at building EV charging stations, and I'm going to bring people that have worked for me for decades now to come along for the ride with me. So I started building a staff there. When I left that company, I went as a senior VP with a company out of Dallas. It's, I still get along great with those people. They just didn't have the vision to grow the business. They want to put any money in it. Go out and sign contracts, and then we'll pay for the POs. I'm like, that's not how business development works. just didn't work that way. So um, I got a, a business associate and friend that we had been working together for nearly 30 years um, as competitors in the beginning. Then we became business associates to try to do business together where I said, I need you to start a construction company for me. I'm going to subcontract all of the construction for these electric vehicle charging stations to you. We're going to learn this together. We're going to do it for a year and a half or two years. And then I'm going to start my own company. We're going to do it, sign a joint venture. I'm going to end up acquiring your company afterwards. So we started that company in March of last year, 2020, um, to build out EV charging infrastructure. But our vision is a little bit different than anybody else out there. Um, if you think of Tesla, EVgo, Electrify America, they they make their money and they're all losing money still because there's not enough cars in the road and there's not an, enough infrastructure out there. So they're going to operate in the red for a long time. They make their money when they sell the network. That's the big play for all of them. Um, they kilowatt hours. That's how they make their money now. I was like, so if I'm going to get in the EV charging ownerships, owner operator game, I can't just make money off of the, I'm not going to get an investor who's going to invest in me. He's going to invest in one of these bigger ones who are more mature than we are. So uh, I was like, how do I tie in my telecom experience and my digital out of home advertising experience 
into this because what am I doing? I'm out there building sites with long-term leases, just like I do with telecom. So we'll sign a 10 to 20 year lease on a, on a retail piece of property. Think of a mall, a gas station or a convenience store chain, a hotel, an office complex, a hospital, places where consumers go and stay for some period of time, whether it's 30 minutes or longer. And we're going to put EV charging in, build it. But what we do is we also put 5G small cell. We bring fiber to our sites. Nobody else does that. None of the, none of the EV charging networks. We bring fiber. We run fiber and power up a light pole that's 30 to 40 feet tall, whatever zoning will let us get away with. And we're going to resell high-speed wireless internet to anybody within range of that signal. So you go a mile to two miles, depending on the topography. Um, and we're going to push digital at-home advertising to the car, to the screen on our charging stations, to the, the tenants within the facility that we're in, um, and the, the site host who's the landlord, we're going to sell digital home advertising. So we call it our four-legged stool of revenue. We make money on the construction, the, the design. We make money on the kilowatt hours. We make money on the, the 5G wireless that we sell, and we'll make money on the digital home advertising, which I think is going to be the biggest revenue generator. Because once you have the inventory, where you can tell them, I have these, whatever. I can go to a media buyer now and say, you tell me what zip codes you want, and I can build there. I'll go out and sign long-term leases with properties that make sense. Because obviously, the consumer financial demographic has to make sense, where they can afford to buy a car, and they're consumers who spend money, right? Um, but I can target where we build these things based on the different types of customers or partners that we'll have. So uh, we filed for a patent three months ago. It took us eight months to put the patent filing together. Um, I went out and I make a joke out of it. I found the most expensive patent attorney I could find. That wasn't what I was looking for, but I wanted one with the highest success rate. So literally the one we found, his office is directly across the street in DC from the US Patent and Trade Trademark Office. Um, his success rate is 99.9, whatever. It's almost 100% um, over the last 25 years. Like that, so I paid. Uh, <laughs> I paid a pretty penny for it, but I, I felt like he was honest up front. He's like, "Look, I'll tell you if I don't think there's a chance that this you'll ever get this thing where you can file. Well, they'll accept the filing, or it might be accepted, or excuse me, uh, become a patent. Um, I we just won't do it. You'll just pay me for the time I put into figuring it out." He spent like uh, a month going through it. And he's like, "No, you've got something here because ours is the menu of services that we provide." They're all technologies and solutions that, that one-off are, are already exist, which is good for us, but none of them are, are packaged the way we package them through a long-term lease piece of property where we're pushing stuff out. So I call it our blank easel. I can deliver from our properties that we lease any kind of new technology, like it could be security monitoring from, from that. And the point is there's just all kinds of stuff we can add to it because of the fiber backbone. So we're pretty excited about it. Um, we've kind of held back on getting our name out there until we had this patent filing in place. They said it'll take about 18 months to get through the whole system. Throughout that 18 months, we're protected still. And he says, you, you he said, I, the, my 99.9%, I feel very comfortable. You're going to get a, it's called a provisional patent on this. So um, we started another company as the subsidiary called Telsmart EV Charging. Um, our goal is to sell off Telsmart EV charging in two to three years because that's kind of the industry trend is that some big investor, some big group comes in and says, here's so much money you can't say no. We want to buy your network, which is really the infrastructure, right? 
It's how you can deliver whatever content or solution you're trying to deliver to the masses. You've already paid for the infrastructure. Um, but we'll keep Avon Group, which is an acronym for all-inclusive venture group. That's the parent company that I founded in uh, March 2020. And we'll keep the construction, the leasing zoning permitting, which we call SIDAC, the design. We'll keep those subsidiaries and we'll sign part of our deal to buy our network, to buy Telsmart EV Charging, is a five to 10-year joint venture agreement where we, who are already experts at building Telsmart EV Charging from the leasing zoning permitting design all the way through, will be the one who provides those services to the buyer when they buy it. So I'll continue a revenue stream uh, with that. So it sounds a little bit convoluted, but it's really actually so simple. Um, just, you know, I've been working on this for a long time. It's another one. I think my lessons learned with Spots and some other businesses that I've had help me make sure I dot the I's and cross the T's properly. So I hope, I hope all that made sense. <laughs> no. And that's, it's so interesting. It was a good segue because that was my, my next question is, you know, how do you compare yourself as an entrepreneur in 2021 to how you were, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, during the prior venture? And, and, you know, I guess when, when America met you on Shark Tank. <laughs> I don't know if they met me. I might have laughed at me. <laughs> um, I am wiser, obviously. Um, I'm humbled. Um, I had shared uh, with Joe, uh, I'm, uh, I was saved. Um, I was, uh, I used to do things for stuff, status and power. I don't do that anymore. Like, obviously I want to be successful, but I've had a lot of people that have followed me on this journey. that believe in me that have basically bet, bet their families on this guy knows what he's doing. I trust him. Um, uh, being a born again, Christian has changed my heart a lot. I still have the same really strong work ethic. Um, I still have passion for if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. But the greed isn't part of what I do anymore. Um, I think back then, I didn't realize I was greedy back then because I felt like I was always kind to people. But I was still trying to prove that that little kid was going to become somebody back then. I hadn't gotten over it yet. I was still trying to prove that I wasn't stupid, that I wasn't ugly, that I wasn't useless. Like I, it took, it took me becoming saved to realize that's all to do, much to do about nothing. Like don't waste your time and energy on that. Focus on things that are positive that you can control and then focus on things that you can do where it's a win-win-win. Um, I never really put much time into the other win-win. It was just my win. Um, and it's really changed my mindset where everything I do. It's given me a lot of peace, too. So, uh, and, and, and I that I can't do it myself. Um, the other business that I had with wireless management solutions with Spots, I took it all on my shoulders. I can't, held everything really tight to the vest. And I didn't really... Um, trust those that I should have trusted. And I trusted those that I shouldn't have trusted. It was really weird. Um, they'd say the right thing. Now I realize that I can't do it all myself, that I try to surround people, surround myself with people that I feel are as smart or smarter and which it's, it's easier to be smarter. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not challenged by them anymore. I'm not scared that they're going to try to take away what I've worked for because I built a relationship of trust with these guys where I take care of them. Like they live a pretty good life because I believe that their value is is just as much as my value, right? I don't deserve more than they deserve. And not a lot of uh, CEOs or entrepreneurs are like that. They're really wrapped around the axle and it's my baby and my baby's pretty and I'm the only one who gets to feed my baby type of deal. Without my staff, without the people around me, um, I wouldn't have an opportunity to do any of this. So I think that's where I've changed. 
Kevin, would you would you agree with the logic that whether someone is a Christian or spiritual at all, uh, that having a purpose-driven agenda, serving others, making sure that everyone wins, that's just, whether you're spiritual or not, that's just a, a better place to be <laughs> and will yield better results than being so focused on just I, I have to win. Absolutely, 100%. Whatever someone's faith is, I don't really use the word religion because religion to me is a man-made construct, but whatever your faith may be, um, you should lead a servant's life. That doesn't mean live like a pauper or live in poverty or whatever. Like if you're willing to work hard and earn what it is you want, then you deserve to be successful and prosper from the fruits of your labor. But you should also think you should also understand that allowing others to prosper and then lifting people up. Maybe they're not prospering specifically as part of what you're doing, but the fruits of your labor help others. Um, I, I, I live that way. I live my life that way um, much more now. And I think the military also help with that. If you think about um, if one person in a platoon or a battalion screws up, you can kill the whole battalion. So it can't be I, 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 it's gotta be we, 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 like you're looking out for your brothers on the sisters on the right and on the left, you gotta have their six, right? Um, I think the military helped me get that too, is you can't do it all yourself. You need, you need a lot of help around you if you wanna be successful, especially with anything that's gonna have any substance or volume, right? And, and we know that what we're gonna do is gonna be huge. It's gonna be a very big success. My vision is to, I'll be 56 next month is uh, I've been working since I was seven years old. I've had a job. Um, and, and when I was 10 years old, I was working 40 hours a week and still going to school trying to help my mother um, feed us. So I'm like, I'm ready to be able to do something where I'm not working 60, 80 hours a week, every single week. That'll <laughs> be when I sell the network. But then I want to do something where I really am serving people. I want to help. I want to go and be like a motivational speaker to underprivileged kids. My wife and I want to go do some mission trips where we help some folks. Uh, I got to have the free time to do that. And I got to have the financial financial stability to do that. We got five kids and six grandkids now. And I'm sure the six grandkids is going to grow, 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 grow. <laughs> so nobody left me anything. Nobody left my wife anything. We want to leave something for our, for our loved ones. So earn it first. Treat people the right way while I'm doing it. Um, serve the best I can. Give, give, uh, credit to those around me that are, that are allowing it to happen or helping me make it happen. And then when that's done, I think my calling is really going to be help other people and help young men, young children, not ever feel like I did as a child. You know, I'm a loser. Nobody likes me. Why is that? You know, I fought all the time because you looked at me cross-eyed. I felt like you were disrespecting me. You know, I look back now, I'm like, who was that person? But, you know, <laughs> it was just anger. It's my way to get attention too. I was proving something that I really shouldn't have had to. So. That's where, that's where I'm at in life right now. Well, I know that most entrepreneurs that have matured as, as you have in, in, their, in their ventures and their, their wisdom have not done it alone. Um, it takes other people, but it, it also good people do good things with their money. So uh, you're going to do great things with your money. I know that. <laughs> that's, that is the plan. That is definitely the plan. Um, I'm excited what the future holds for us. Um, We've got a lot of really big things on the table right now. We're negotiating several really big deals from a finance perspective, from location perspective, from advertisers perspective, you know, and it's just, I have to keep uh, laser focused on 
Uh, I think you guys probably understand this. There are still a lot of unscrupulous people out there that care about you know, the I, 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 the me, me, me thing. Um, and those are the little, uh, little hurdles that we hit as we go through this together. But I'm thankful. The guys around me, there's certain individuals, a handful of like five people that are my immediate. I don't even like to call them staff. They're, they're, we're co-workers. We're in this thing together that I couldn't do without them. Um, they, they keep me on the straight and narrow and help me look at it from every perspective to make sure we're doing the right thing. So they might be employees, but they don't feel that way to me. <laughs> they feel like brothers in arms to me. <laughs> brothers and sisters in arms, I'm careful here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, last question and most important question is if someone wants to interact with you, talk with you, learn a little bit more about your current project, where it's going, what the funding needs are, just um, anything else related to that, where can people get a hold of you? They can go to uh, avengroup.com. That's www.aivengroup.com, avengroup.com. And it gives the 30,000 foot overview of our what our vision and our mission is. Um, and you can contact me directly through that. And you can go, there's an info ad and a sales ad. So there's, there's several ways to communicate with us there. They can also reach out to me on LinkedIn if they'd like to have more direct contact with me. I've got a pretty big uh, connection, I'm pretty close to 20,000 now. <laughs> Tr trying to grow that, it's gonna help grow the business. I'm all about networking. Well, we so appreciate you being on here, being open, being vulnerable, some great lessons for all the entrepreneurs listening. And we're excited to see uh, where this journey takes you next. I really appreciate and humble that you guys gave me the opportunity uh, to speak with you. And uh, I, I hope anything that I've said is helpful to somebody else who might be kind of scared to take that journey, that leap of faith. And I would also tell them, don't be scared to go on the Shark Tank. Um, if you've got a really good business model that you really believe in or passionate, give it a shot. Like no, no, never killed anybody. Right. Just, just give it a shot. If you believe in it. So, uh, I, I, I can't watch it at home. My wife won't let me watch it, but I watch it when she's not around. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Kevin. You take care. Thank Kevin, you, gentlemen. You have a blessed day. Good being bye -bye. with you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. We're back. Post game. Okay. Love, love the post game. What do we learn? Nuggets. Lots of nuggets. Uh, tough guy. Good guy. Um, reinvent Resilient. Himself. Huh? Resilient. Resilient. <laughs> Gritty. So I've got a couple things I'll hit. Okay. And then we'll, because I usually do that first, right? I go first. Then uh, you. I think this is our 35th episode. <laughs> and you've gone first every time. This guy, this Kevin Flannery, he thrives on being told that he can't do something. And I think, and I like that too. And I think you're like that. I think that resonates with you. You, oh, you were, think you were told very early in your career that you, what gives you the right to be a, a speaker on college campuses? What gives you the right to write a book? Why are you an expert? So and as what, I always say, this is what was said to my face. Can you imagine what the hell was said behind my oh, back? Oh God, Lordy. So he thrives on being told he can't do something. And I, what I take from that is whatever you need as an entrepreneur, Whatever powder you need to put into your musket, grab it. Whatever whatever fuel you want to throw into your fire, grab it, because you're going to need all the fuel and all the emotional gas in your tank that you could grab. So if, if that's what works for you, that's great. Uh, he's also really a positive person and a spiritual person. He believes in God. He believes in a higher power. And I think that 
uh, and again, not everyone is a spiritual person. It's a personal choice. But I believe when you do have an understanding and a trust in God in the universe, it helps you get that much further down the road. That may be the thing that is a difference between you going cray cray <laughs> and you building a really big business and exiting that business. So positivity, uh, a belief in a higher power, not th something to be completely overlooked. He also sees opportunities on the horizon. He sees things. He was probably ahead of his time uh, with the yeah, first that's idea. that's one of the things I was going to get into. You're I'll let, exactly I'll, right. I'll let you get into that. Also, I love the fact that he's not scared to just jump in and do something. Uh, I love fearless people. Fearless people that also have good judgment because an entrepreneur must have good judgment. But if you're fearless and you also have pretty good judgment, it's a great com combination. If you have poor judgment, then don't be fearless and probably don't be an entrepreneur. Yep. <laughs> so judgment goes along with that. Um, I like the fact that he does not live in the past. Um, in fact, his crash and burn experience on Shark Tank, I think that probably bummed him out for 10 minutes and then, <laughs> then he moved on. We can mourn about something. We can mourn about a loss or failure, a setback, but don't mourn too long and don't stay pissed off. You get pissed off, you know, I like to say, let it out. You know, if, if you need to get upset, get upset, get angry, you know, put your hand through a wall and then go put a Band-Aid on it and get back out on the floor or get on the phone and make your business work. Don't stay pissed off for too long. Um, well, it's just a life lesson. You can't let your past define your future, personally or professionally. Yeah. Who the hell cares? I mean, if you're you live learn, in the, you move on. If, you live in, if you're living too far in the past, you're, you're sunk. If you're too far out in the future and you're not focused on the present, that's not a great thing. The present is a great place to be with a little planning, a little vision. What did you learn from the past? The past is only valuable in, in regard to what we learn from it, what lessons stuck. So the past can be valuable only for that. The other thing that I, I like about Kevin Flannery is he is very, very purpose-driven in almost everything he does. Uh, the why really guides the how and the what. So the why is very important to him. Yeah, and all, all great stuff. I'll just share two more quick ones. Uh, first of all, you know, you can't be too far ahead of the game. And then at the same time, you can't be too far behind. Yeah. And so this idea of putting these devices, this was pre-iPads. So it was probably, you know, and I, I don't know the exact timeline, six months, two years, whatever it was, too early. You know, so sometimes you're just too early. It's not that Facebook was the only social network, but right time, right place, some of it's luck, some of it's skill, obviously, but you've got to be really careful. I mean, even now, you know, you look at our business model and everything we do is virtual and, you know, the timing's great for that. Were people this comfortable on Zoom 18 months ago? They, they weren't, or 19 months ago, right? So it's amazing how quickly things can shift to where, you know, people prefer virtual versus people want to be in person or... You know, you just have timing is so important in business. And so, again, you have to look at these things. And am I too early or am I too late? And sometimes when you're too early, you think, well, there's a tremendous need for this or everybody should want this or this is a great idea. But how much time and money are you going to have to spend educating people? OK, because if you're teaching, you know, so sometimes when people say to us, there nothing like this exists. Part of you says, well, this is great. 
And then part of you says, well, this might be terrible because do you have the time and the money and the creativity and the ability to educate people on why they should start doing this? So if you're making an incremental improvement, so people take taxis, oh, they don't like it, but it's a necessary evil. Uber comes along. Well, this is a way better way for me to get from point A to point B. Yeah, another way of saying that is you're, as entrepreneurs, we're trying to solve problems. We're trying to identify a problem and solve it with an elegant solution. That's a very definition of But if I don't know I have a problem <laughs> or I'm not ready to solve that problem yep. or I don't think it's a problem yet, even though it is. Yeah. So I think sometimes entrepreneurs uh, are too smart. Yeah. And I mean that because, hey, I see the future and I know in five years this is the way the world's going. Well, then the timing on starting that business might be three years from now. Yep. It may not be today. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of understanding the chasm and, and being in the right place. You have to cross that chasm where the problem and your solution and the readiness of your ideal target audience all comes together. Um, I want to talk about Growth 10 for a minute. We uh, co-founded Growth 10 about five years ago. Tom and I do great work with entrepreneurs just like you. We put them in groups highly organized, highly vetted groups of top performing entrepreneurs so they can help each other. So if you uh, have a business, a real business, and you want to be in a high performing group of like size, like minded people with similar issues, Tom, they should give us a call or shoot us an email. and We'd be happy to put them in a group, no strings attached, just as a guest to look at the work that we do. Yeah, we have groups literally all over the world now. So if being in a group, uh, having a tribe of, of fellow entrepreneurs would be helpful, being around like-minded peers, let us know. We'll find a good fit for you. And then the other thing is if you say, well, you know, uh, I actually want to mentor entrepreneurs and maybe I'm doing it right now and I'm not doing it for any money and I don't like giving free advice all the time or <laughs> I'm doing it one-on-one -on -one and I'd love to you know, share this knowledge but I'd love to do it in a group setting. If the idea of leading a group uh, would be interesting, again, Tom at Growth10.com, Joe at Growth10.com, let us know. We'll talk to you about how you can impact uh, entrepreneurs in a virtual mastermind peer learning setting that would be really enjoyable as well. So as always, another episode in the books. Another Kevin, Kevin Flannery. Big-hearted guy with big ideas. Uh, we'll hear more from Kevin Flannery for sure. We will. So as always, thanks for li uh, listening. If you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts or both. Uh, and make sure you know to give us those five stars on Apple. It really helps us out as well. So thank you for your support. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for listening. We hope this is beneficial as always. And we'll see you next Tuesday on an all-new episode of Outside, Outside the, the Tank. tank.